0: Well, I've got to tell you, this morning I have been excited, I've been excited for the whole week, to be honest with you, because I knew this next lady is going to speak to you today, and I have asked her to do that. Do you realize here at Church of the Red Door, it's, it, it continues to boggle my mind, especially in middle of the season, but even now. Uh, like Pastor Seifert and his wife Ruth. I mean, they're here. He pastored a large church, and we'll have him speak one day. I mean, we, we've we just got so many people that have done incredible amount of ministry. I saw the McQuistons here today that have been in ministry for many, many years. And and I, if I start down that road, then it leaves me short of an ability to finish because God is just continuing to build a very strange foundation, not strange in the sense that, well, it's, it's strange in this way, that it's disproportionate in some ways, to a church that's not even two years old yet, so I'm still trying to figure out. We, as a, your elders and pastors, trying to figure out exactly what God is doing at church at the Red Door. I don't know. I don't know what our calling is. I don't know exactly. I mean, we have a general vision and we're moving in that way. But didn't He say to Abraham, "Go to a place that I will show you," and it continues as these things kind of unfold. So I thought middle of the summer. Before everybody starts kind of streaming back and we go back to multiple services, I wanted to introduce you to a woman named Marilyn Meberg. Now, Marilyn, just to give you a little bit of a background, Marilyn was one of the keynote speakers, one of the featured speakers at Women of Faith. Women, if you've attended a Women of Faith conference, raise your hand real quick. Look at all of you. So you probably have already heard Marilyn Chip. Marilyn spoke. They would have 350,000, 500,000 women they'd speak to each year at these women of faith conferences, packed stadiums. It was kind of the equivalent to promise keepers for men was the women of faith movement, which is a very powerful uh, movement. Now, Marilyn is a psychologist by training, several master's degrees, and she's written about 13 different books. and uh, and I don't know when the last one was. I think it was 2008 or something like that. I can't remember exactly when it was, but it is a privilege. She's part of Church at the Red Door. Women, you're going to get to hear her more than just here in the front of the pulpit. We're going to do some women's outreaches that I'm sure Marilyn will be part of. So it is my privilege, and I think about, again, I think about Paul's admonition in Romans 13. He said, you know, you need to give honor where honor is due. And so we are honored, and now we are honoring her And uh, Marilyn, for all the years that you've given in ministry, we're excited about having you here today. Would you please welcome Marilyn (laughs) Meeberg? Love you, girl.
1: Well, I'm honored. My goodness. You know, to consider the history of this evolving church, and it is happening so quickly and so powerfully. Under the power of the Holy Spirit, who decided eons ago that this would happen? That gives me goosebumps. I'm honored to be here. Thank you for that opportunity. We're going to talk this morning, if I were going to give a title to this presentation, In Everything God. Everything God. I'll start with, I'm not sure God was in this particular incident but I wouldn't be surprised because he seems to be in everything. I was married to a wonderful man, Ken Mayberg, who died out here. He was superintendent of schools of uh, Desert Sands School District. Pancreatic cancer. Funny character. We just jived as soon as we started dating. I thought, oh my goodness. I remember walking across the campus of Seattle Pacific University where we were students and Dr. Swanson we had by then become an item, the two of us, not Dr. Swanstrom and I, but Ken and I. <laughs> and Dr. Swanstrom stopped us and he said, um, you two planning to marry? That was a little bit abrupt. I wasn't sure how Ken found about that. And uh, Ken said, yes, sir. <laughs> <laughs> and he just paused and stared at us and he said, you know, I cannot imagine the kind of children you will produce. <laughs> We were both known as kind of characters on campus, and uh, the fact that we got together, I guess he thought, was amusing. Ken was not only funny and fun, he was tender and sensitive, and very creative in his ways of dealing with me. I hadn't thought that that would be necessary, but apparently it was. One day, uh, I was playing with our little son, Jeff, He was learning to walk, and I was applauding all of his faltering steps, and somebody came to the door, and I went to the door, and I was a well-dressed man, shiny brown shoes, I mean, way too shiny, and a a brown suit, and he said, I'm sorry to bother you, is your name Marilyn Nieberg?" I said, yes. "Um, I, I know this is weird, but would you mind, well, do you have... A Bank of America card, you know, a, a MasterCard. Yeah. Could I take a look at it? Well, okay, you mean you want me to hand it to you? He said, yes, ma'am, if you wouldn't mind. So my billfold was fairly close to the front door, so I took it out of the billfold and I handed it to him. And he looked at it. And then he pulled out of his pocket huge red scissors and cut it in half. And then he handed the pieces back to me and he said, have a good day. (laughs) Ken got home that evening and I said, you would not believe what happened today. And I told him, this guy in a suit and shiny shoes asked for my bank of America, blah, 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 blah. And Ken just went into hysterics. He laughed and laughed and laughed. I said, Ken, this isn't funny. We need to move. This is a crazy place. said, did you, by any chance, send the guy with the shiny shoes and the brown suit? He said, yes, I did. <laughs> I said, why? He said, well, Marilyn, you may remember. We have had a conversation about the use of the MasterCard. <laughs> I said, yeah, I, I remember. Uh, And you may remember that I had cautioned you about the freedom with which you used the card. (laughs) And I had suggested to you that it was excessive. I said, yeah, I, I remember. I said, but you know, Jeff, we find these wonderful sales for little boys. And little Jeff was so adorable. And I dressed him, you know. He said, I know, Marilyn, but there's a limit to what we can do. But actually, what happened to make this the last straw is the purchase of the Brown and Jordan patio set <laughs> that I assume is going to be delivered soon." So, "Oh well, yeah, that. Um, okay, now babe, you know this gorgeous little home that we bought in Garden Grove, when Jeff was just three months old. Beautiful backyard, Dichondra grass. I don't know if anything like that even exists anymore, but Dichondra grass. It was rich and luxurious and so beautiful and nice, shrubbery, just a beautiful backyard. But if we wanted to sit back there, we'd have to drag out a kitchen chair and sit in the corner of the patio. And I thought, when I went into this patio shop, who knows why I went in, but I did, and there was a Brown and Jordan set on sale. Round table, four chairs, perfect for the patio, and it was reduced to only $500. So I explained that to Ken, and he said, yes, I, I know all about it. I said, okay, so that was a bit much. He said, yes, it's, it's over budget, Marilyn. I said, okay, okay, I, I'm, I really am sorry. He said, I know what you are. I said, is there uh, any chance of another card? said, I don't think so. (laughs) Now, the thing I loved about Ken is that that was such an unusual way to teach me something. He had been talking to me before about, you know, we're running the card up a bit. now, And I would agree and feel chastised for the moment, but he was a gentle guy. He didn't make me feel dumb. But apparently I didn't feel enough. And it was an unusual way to teach me, even now. That was 50 years ago. Even now, I watch how I do the, the credit card, because I do have a card. <laughs> but I am nervous about it if I start to run it up, because do you know what I see in my mind? I see big red scissors that come out of some invisible shirt, and they get cut in half. And I think, I'm not going through that again. It taught me something. You know, God took something, uh, Ken took something from God's playbook, the Bible. Because God does so many unusual things for one purpose. And maybe it's because he's unusual. I do think he's unusual. And I won't get into all of the thoughts about God. He's immense and he's enormous. But he's unusual. He uses unusual ways to teach us things. Read scripture. And you can go story after story after story. And you think, how did he think of that? Why did he do that? I think Ken pulled, perhaps, his teachable moment for me from scripture. (laughs) I don't know that he was that spiritual, but I'm going to think that possibly he was. And I want to share one of those unusual stories of God teaching a very practical lesson in an unusual way. He uses unusual circumstances to teach us impossible possibilities. God's God's style. We're going to talk about that wonderful story, Jericho, the capturing of Jericho. You will remember that God had promised to Abraham eons ago that he would make nations from him. The odd thing about that was, when once again God reminded Abraham that he was going to make nations of him, at that reminder time, Abraham was 100 years old. Sarah's 90. I don't want to be indelicate. but no bullets, no eggs, no babies. (laughs) You think, what is God thinking? I'm going to give you nations. But Abraham believed him again. The promise had been given to him earlier when he was a younger man, but then again, Abraham believed him. So, true to his word and his promise to Abraham... We open our discussion this morning with about three million people this side of the first city that will be the beginning of the promised land experience for the children of Israel. God had said to Abraham, Count the stars. If you can count the stars, that's how many descendants you will have. Three million of those people on the outside of the Jordan River, ready to cross over and take the city. Problem was, The the river, the Jordan River was at flood stage. How are you going to get across? We'll get to that later. Now, Joshua, being a military man, said, you know, we've got to send spies into Jericho and just check it out. God doesn't seem to think, you don't have to be so human about stuff. I already told you I'm going to give it to you. God honors our humanness. But God's intent, when Joshua sent two spies into Jericho, and they went to Jericho and got in. Now, here's the thing about each city in that whole area of the promised land. Each city was an individual government. They had their own king, they had their own priests, they had their leadership, and they had huge walls that surrounded them to keep them safe. Imagine having a wall. Okay, we won't go into Trump. The wall was to protect them. Because they weren't nice people. They would go in and take their stuff. And they'd kill people when they took the stuff. So people had walls. So the spies were sent over to check out the people there. Well, how were they going to get through? Somehow they did. And interestingly enough, and oddly enough, God led them, the two spies, to a woman called Rahab, who was a harlot. Now, if you're acquainted with scripture, you will know that any time the name Rahab is used, her title goes with it. Rahab the harlot. Rahab the harlot. It seems a little odd. I'm a tech moron. And if, if that were always attached to my name, Marilyn the tech moron. Yeah, you know Marilyn the tech moron. Oh, yeah, I know Marilyn the tech moron. You'd just as soon not have that little label. Rahab the harlot. And the spies came into Jericho. Had no idea who was where and why. And they were led to Rahab's home. Rahab the harlot. I want to stop and introduce a life-changing... You can't call it a theory. You would call it a doctrine of scripture. It's called sovereignty. Sovereignty. It is defined in Ephesians 1.11 in this way. He, God... Makes everything work out according to his plan. Not Marilyn the tech moron, his plan. God works out everything according to his plan. So we have the two spies, their intention is to check out the town, see how it's going. They don't know where they ought to go, and they're led somehow to the home of Rahab the harlot. And you know, on the surface of it, that might look a little Questionable. I mean, they just got away from the flock that they're with and they go right away to the home of a harlot. God didn't seem to think anything about that. And I don't know that the, that the spies did either. But they got into her home, led sovereignly by a God who does all things according to the counsel of his will into her home. And she is so glad to see them. Why is she? She has a budding faith. And the God of the Israelites who were on the other side of the river getting ready to come over and take the, the city and the land. She had a budding faith in them, in that God. And she said, I want to talk to you. I want to talk to you. I want you to know that every person in this city is scared spitless of you. We know you're over there on the other side of the Jordan River. We know what you've done in eons past. We know that God parted the Red Sea and you walked across on dry land. Wow. We know that. And we know of all the other conquests that you have done. Your God is powerful and kind and loving and strong. He is the God of heaven and he is the God of earth. I don't want to know more about him. How in the world of all the people in Jericho would these two spies know to go to this home where there is a woman? And that is interested in God. And so they told her about God. And she said, would you make me a promise? I know that when you get across the Jordan River, you're gonna come and take the city. Would you rescue me and my parents and my family members, brothers and sisters? And the spy said, we promise we would do that but we have to have a way of knowing where you live. And she said, and you have to get out of here because we have a king. He has spies. They'll be coming to the door anytime. And I don't want you to be killed because they will kill you. She said, in the meantime, I'm going to hide you up on the flat top of my house because if they come, I will tell them that you've already gone. Nobody seemed to be bothered about that lie. I guess you can lie if it's going to help things. <laughs> no, don't make that as a practice. She took the, the spies up on the rooftop, and she talked to them further about her budding faith and asked them questions. Somebody came to the door. She ran down, and she said, they said we, there are two spies that are in the city, and we have reason to think they're in your home. And she said, well, yes, they were. Uh, but they've gone. Now they went out the east gate, and I think if you hurry, you can find them. <laughs> so they went off. She goes back upstairs and she said, I'm going to cover you with all the flax so you won't be seen just in case they come back and check the house. So he covered them up. Now here's what is interesting about the fact that she had all this flax. It indicates possibility that she had changed professions. She had become a whatever you do with flax, woven, building, doing rugs and carpets and things like that. Maybe she hadn't changed professions. But she had so much flax up there drying on the rooftop that it covered up the spies so they could not be seen in the event that the king's men came back. The king's men didn't come back. And while they're up there chatting, they promise that if she will get them out of town, they will indeed come and save her. So she has flax that has been braided into a 30-foot rope Now, she's on the top of the wall. She led them to the edge of the wall, threw the rope down, and they went down that rope and escaped. I don't know how, but a sovereign God does. Now, here's this other verse we want to consider about sovereignty. The steps of a man, this is in Psalm 37, 23. The steps of a person are established by the Lord. They didn't know why they were there. God did. Why did he do that? He's sovereign. He had a plan. He was going to work things out. So the spies escaped, and they went where she said would be a good place for them to wait for three days and then come back, cross the river at a, a more shallow part, went back and told Joshua, you would not believe what we'd be. And Joshua was excited, and he said, yes, we will indeed take care of her. As they were let down the scarlet cord, they thought, I don't know if they thought God's got such style, but when I read that, I think God's got such style. Now, here's the thing about sovereignty. Though God directs our steps, he partners with us. He's not a dictator, For some, and I don't say he's democratic. He is inclusive. He invites our participation. This verse in Philippians 2.13 For it is God who is at work in you to will and to do his good pleasure. Ever had time when you think, you know, I really feel this strong inclination that I should do mm, mm, mm-mm-mm. Well, could be God putting that in you to do because he partners with us. And when you get into sync with God and you can't help but get in sync with God because he's stronger than you. He's stronger than I am. He does it. He does all things according to the counsel of his will. And he directed the steps of the spies out of Jericho. He directed the spies out, of, out along the red ridge uh, surrounding Jericho and back to Joshua's. And Abraham, I mean, Joshua says, Yes, of course we will save her. They don't know how they're going to get across a river, much less the next step. Okay, then we come to this incredible story how well, they get across the river <clears throat> it's <clears throat> excuse me in flood stage the river jordan is big anyway but it was impassable 3 million people it was impassable where they were going to go and get over to the promised land this river was treacherous god works with us and so joshua is standing thinking about this god never tells the plan ahead of time you're just walking in faith, and then you get the plan. Walk in faith, then you get a plan. And, and Joshua was uh, wondering about, and I'll see, how are we going to cross here? And a man is standing in front of Joshua, and he's dressed in military garb, and he's got a sword. And Joshua says, Are you friend or foe? He said, I'm captain of the Lord's army. Who needs more than that? We don't know anymore of that conversation. That isn't included in scripture. But he says, I am captain of the Lord's army. And if I'm captain, these are my words, I am safe. And we trusted God to get across the Jordan River. Joshua says to the priests, okay, we're going to go today. And uh, we're going to take the Ark of the Covenant. You'll remember the good teaching on the Ark of the Covenant that had the Uh, Twelve commandments, the Ten Commandments inside, heavy. Took two men in the front, two men in the back to hold this and walk it. And when the Ark of the Covenant led the people, the God of the universe is leading the people visually as it carries his word uh, directly given to Moses. And Joshua says, okay, we're going to take the Ark, and the river is treacherous, but just head into it. Okie doke. They go to the edge of the river, put their foot in, and immediately the river parts, just like the Red Sea had parted. They have huge walls of water on either side. You can imagine the people in Jericho thinking, Oh my word, (laughs) they're at it again, (laughs) and they're coming our direction. And so the Ark of the Covenant leads. Three million people, but it goes first and then stops in the middle of on dry land of the river and all three million people cross over to the other side. Wow, that is God at work. But we cooperate in the process. Sovereignty isn't um, not inclusive. He includes us. All right, now, Joshua doesn't know what's the next step, but we're here now. God hasn't told them how they're going to take Jericho. And then when God does tell them how they're going to take Jericho, I can't imagine how Joshua must have responded. I would have thought, you out of your mind, but you don't say that to God. (laughs) The plan was, okay, you're going to march around the city one time, and the priests are going to blow on these ram's horns. I have no idea what that sounds, but I bet it's awful. It sounds awful. And the people cannot say a word. All three thousand or three million, excuse me, are going to go around Jericho. The priests are gonna blow the horns, then you go back to camp. And the people can't say a word. They probably couldn't anyway, because of the sound of the horns. You go back to camp. And the next day you do the same thing. Go around Jericho, horns blasting, go back to camp. Then you can talk. Are you kidding? I have a headache. I'm right behind that. I'm kind right behind that priest. And the seventh day, they were told, march around the city seven times. And then after the seventh circle, yell at the walls. (laughs) I mean, really? Okay, then. Uh, That's what what we're going to do. We're going to yell at the walls, but first we have to get around it and do all this stuff. And they do in obedience what God had told Joshua to tell the people. And on the seventh the time around, they look at the walls and they yell. And the walls come tumbling down. <coughs> can you imagine the people in Jericho that it's a weird crowd? Now <coughs> why do you suppose God uses such unusual ways of accomplishing his will. I mean, why? That's answered for us in 1 Corinthians 1, 27 through 29. Listen to this. God has chosen things that the world considers foolish in order to shame those who think they're wise. And he chose things that are powerless to shame those who are powerful. God chose things despised by the world, counted as nothing that the world considers important. Why? Here's the answer. So no one can brag in the presence of God. He uses the unusual to accomplish the impossible. Now, how many times has something gone well and you've thought, well, you know, if I hadn't... Well, you know, actually, when we were... we. We tend to brag and think, well, yeah, but it, takes, it just takes some forethought. I mean, after all, i got to think this through. I do partner with God, and we do. But sometimes when God's plans are so off the charts that you wouldn't even think of it, you know God's doing it and not your good planning. He does indeed. <laughs> he does the unusual to accomplish the impossible. And here's the part that, uh, well, all of this moves me. But when the walls come tumbling down, Joshua, in all of that drama, says to the spies, now run in there and get Rahab and her family and bring her out to safety. God doing that through Joshua. God doesn't miss a trick. And the fact that God is interested in the well-being of one woman as opposed to three million for whom he has given promises for centuries. God's a God of individuals. He's a God of millions and he's a God of individuals. He makes me cry. God knows your Jericho. He knows your heart. He knows your fear. He knows the limitations of your humanity, and we all have it. So God's in charge, he's sovereign. The steps of a man are established by him. He sends us where he intends. We partner with God, His God who's at work in you to work for his good pleasure, and he has unusual ways to accomplish it. He uses ways that the world thinks Many years ago, I was entrusted with the privilege of picking up my parents in Sun City, Arizona, where they had had 15 years of wonderful retirement. They were in poor health and aging, aged, younger than I am now. That's a thought. (laughs) (laughs) And I was going to go and pick them up in their home in Arizona and drive them to their new place of living, which is Mount Miguel Village, in San Diego, Mount Miguel was uh, able to gradated care. You could come in fairly all right, and then you get a little worse and a little worse until finally you go to heaven. And um, this was carefully researched by my parents, and I was thrilled with the opportunity to do this for them, with them, but I was scared. And Ken was going to drive it with me, but he had this incredible big emergency in his job and couldn't, and he said, Marilyn, I'm so sorry. I said, baby, it's okay, it's okay. We'll be, we'll be fine. He had gone over the car with a fine-tooth comb. Somebody had. He wasn't good at it. He had gotten at it. It would have been a mess. But he took it to somebody who knew what they were doing. And the car was in tip-top shape. I picked up my parents. Uh, we drove it from, from uh, Phoenix to San Diego. It was about six hours. Not about right. And we stopped for lunch in Ocotillo. And things were going well. I was so grateful. I had been nervous. I said, Lord Jesus, don't anything happen to my parents. I got to do this well, I, I, I wasn't doing it, God's doing it, but every now and then it's the I. And after lunch we get in the car and we're heading for the latter part of our journey to Mount Miguel Village in San Diego and I look in the rearview mirror as I'm driving along and my dad was a pastor and was used to running everything and my mom who was a spiritual giant and prayed about everything, they were a good combo. Dad seemed to put more emphasis on the Bible and what he ought to do, and my mom just sat back and prayed, and that was a nice combo. But as we were driving along, and I'm thanking God for the good fortune of their well-being and the opportunity to take them to this new place, and I hear noises under the hood, and I see the dummy lights. They are named that for a reason. The dummy lights lighting up on my dash. Oh, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus, Lord Jesus. I lost power steering, I lost power in the brakes, and as best I could, I got that car over to the side of the road, and I couldn't stop it because the brakes wouldn't. but it was, I had slowed down until finally it just stopped. I said, Daddy, I don't know what to do. He said, I don't either. And then I see my mom go into prayer mode. You could always see when mom went into prayer mode. And dad said, you know, Up there, there's a building that says garage. Why don't you go up there and check it out? And next to it, not too far, was this bad-looking little place called Cafe. (laughs) So I dashed up at 118 degrees. There was nobody in that garage. Oh, my word, Lord, Jesus. Then I went into the cafe. Prior to entering the cafe, I was aware of the screen door just hitting the side, coming back through the wind, hitting it again. It was eerie. I thought, I'm scared to go in there. Probably everybody in the garage is in there dead, lying on the floor. (laughs) But when the door swung out, I, I walked in. Nobody. But there was a cup on the counter, I went over and put my finger in the cup, it had coffee in it, it was cold. The person was dead too. <laughs> I came out and I walked to the car I said, Daddy, nobody's alive here. And my mother was a prayer warrior. That's what she was doing, she went into her mode. She didn't talk, she just, I knew. And within minutes, oddly enough, a tow truck came up, slowed down beside me, and pulled in front. And then another car pulled in in front of him and parked on the side of the road where we were. The guy in the, po- uh, the truck came back and he said, my name's Tony, looks like I could help you. I said, well, I hope so. He said, uh, "Let me take a look." He popped the hood. I don't know what he saw, but it wasn't. It didn't work. He said, "Where are you going?" I said, "Mount Miguel Village in San Diego." He said, "Really?" He said, I'm, "My shop is two blocks from there. I've just been doing some towing, and my friend Manuel's right in front of us. He's got a passenger car, and we'll we'll tow you." Said, Thank you, Jesus. Until I saw Manuel. He was a scary looking dude. <laughs> he was sort of leaning against the hood of his car. <sighs> <sighs> <laughs> Tony said, Now, uh, I think it'd be good for your dad to ride with me in the truck, and you and uh, is that your mom, I said, Yes. You and your mom will ride with Manuel. Now, I adored both of my parents. My dad had been a pastor. He had run the world. My mother, a fabulous, sensitive, deep, brilliant woman who prayed. (laughs) And uh, when I was really in a jam, I would get to my mom who would pray at an hour. I'd talk to my dad who had some really practical answers. Mom had practical answers, but they always had to be prayed about first, and that sometimes took too long. So mom is ushered into Manuel's car, and uh, she was not in good health. She had some difficulty getting in, but she did, and I got in the back seat. My car now is being on his little hind legs, being led away, and Manuel said, It meant for me to get in the back and shut up, so I did. And I'm thinking, okay, this is the deal. This is what they do, these two, Tony and Manuel. They make this fairly forsaken part of driving into San Diego part of their deal. They stop and they help people, supposedly, and then they take what they want, the car, sell it, and they kill the people. (laughs) I'm sitting there thinking, I'm on to you, and I'm going to kill you. It wasn't a godly thought, I suppose, but there were a lot of killings in the Old Testament, and I figured, why not? And I'm sitting in the back as we begin to start slowly and out from the side of the road, and my car is now in front of us being towed on his little hind legs. And I look and I think, there's no weapon. There is not, there's absolutely no. I would hit him over the head. I would kill him. I don't care. And I would leap over and I would drive behind and I'd get to the place where we're going to go for my car, but I couldn't find a weapon. And in the meantime, my mother, saintly mom, who taught foreign languages in my high school, started speaking to him in Spanish. And he got softer and softer and more and more responsive. And after a while, they were laughing and talking, and back and forth, I hear the word ninos. I took two years of Spanish for my mother, but it didn't take. I wasn't her best student. But I'd pick up little words. I thought, they're just chatting away. Emmanuel's gotten so relaxed, and he, he says to my mother, do you mind if I smoke? Well, Mom didn't like that smell. She said, of course, and she said, in Spanish, I just figured this out. And he opens the crack of his door, and he, and this was, you know, years ago, 30 years ago, and the door, you had little cracks of, you had a little side window, and then you had a big window. And so he held his cigarette sort of out of the window. <sighs> I can't imagine that it was gratifying, but, you know, if you're hooked, you're hooked. And so I thought that was very kind. I thought, well, maybe he's an okay guy, and I shouldn't kill him if I could. We got to this garage that was owned by Tony and uh, unhooked my car. And then Tony said, you, Mr. Ricker, Mrs. Ricker, and me, uh, Tony's uh, Manuel's going to take you to Covenant Village, which is where they were, we were going two blocks away. I want you to know there was no doubt in my mind Who got me to Mount Miguel Covenant Village on that day? I was not picked up by two crooks. I was picked up by two people who didn't seem right for the job that had been ordained by a sovereign God who directs our steps. And he took us, Mom, Dad, me, to Mount Miguel just in time for dinner. (laughs) And we invited him to join us in the dining room. I didn't know if that was okay, neither did my parents, but Manuel said no. And we're sitting there at dinner, and I said, Daddy, I cannot believe what just happened. He said, I know, but you know, Marilyn, God is sovereign. God does all things, all things according to the counsel of his will. We believe it, we live it, and we don't believe it, and we don't live it. But God is sovereign. He's in charge of all things, including the safe arrival from two people that looked to me like crooks that were going to kill us. And God does it in his own way, unusual ways. You see, if he did things in traditional ways, we would take take credit for it. If my car had not broken down, I'd have said, well, you know, as my dad would congratulate me on the car and how well it did, you know, Ken did a, it does a great job of taking care of things. He had it looked over. We had all the, and Ken did all that. But Ken wasn't even in the picture. I wasn't in the picture. God was. God sovereignly, <laughs> makes me cry, he designed everything. That trip, the children of Israel were getting over the Jericho uh, that was at flood stage. He's got style, and he's got love, and he's got drama. There was no doubt how we got to where we were going in his sovereign design. I don't see a clock. What time is it? Do we have time to get across the river? (laughs) The people got across the river. (laughs) (laughs) And then God told them how they were going to take the city with the blowing of the horns. And they took the city. And Rahab was saved, as was her family, as are you and I, with a God who knows our needs, cares more than you can even imagine, and never, ever skips a beat in an occasional time of drama. Trust him. Admire him. Watch him. You can learn a lot. And say, thank you, Jesus, that you know all things. Care about all things. Provide for every single need in ways that we never think of. Because if we think of it, we'd brag about it.
0: Marilyn, that was awesome that was uh that was a timely word you know it, it kind of segues me into what i wanted to close with uh, i hadn't intended to but i think it's uh, relevant. i'd actually told you a couple of weeks ago that i had a couple of announcements you know some of you know and i lo- know a lot of our live streamers will be coming back we've been looking for property you know so we've been looking for property for the last really two years and so we did that we have a team together and they've done some great due diligence and they went out and they refused to sell it to us. And so we went on to the next property and we everybody felt like this is the place. It's got to be the right place. It's, it seems the perfect location and everything. And did a lot of due diligence, spent a lot of money, time, effort, energy, and then they wouldn't sell to us. And that was about probably two weeks ago, three weeks ago. So, you know, the question is now, uh, how does God do things? Well, he does them in strange ways. Uh, I, we are convinced as a church, as this is just an aside, to just a uh, play off what Marilyn's just been sharing with us God is sovereign he does do it so that we won't boast you know so that no one would boast in his presence I mean that's how she finished first 1 Corinthians 129 so no one could look there is nothing to brag about as it relates to the king other than Jesus himself and God and his sovereignty I mean he saves us out of places that we there's look nobody belongs here not one of us belong here None none of us have deserved the right to be here. God sacrificed His own Son based upon His merit, which gives us access to a community like this and then the possibility and the privilege to reach out into a valley. You know, when I look over the next five years, the church at the Red Door, and all the churches here in the valley, so this isn't just us being some exclusive, you know, enclave of uh, real, true believers. They're beautiful, wonderful Jesus people all over this valley, but we have a particular calling at a particular time, to a particular demographic. It's a strange place we are, and God's going to do it in strange ways that are going to really show us that it's actually a manifestation of His ways in His time. I'm convinced at some point, at some time, somebody's going to come out of nowhere and have a piece of property for us or a building that's already built. We don't know. We don't know how that's going to work. Or I, I I don't know, but we're going to look back at it, and just as Marilyn showed us through Joshua crossing with the after Moses died, Joshua crossing the uh, the river there, the Jordan, and going into Jericho, it'll be just as dramatic and awe-inspiring as that. And I'm convinced that we'll look back in five years and go, look at what God did. That's what all of our team wants. We want to look back at every step and not say, look what you know, Church of the Red Door or Jeff or Pastor Paul or this or the trustees or what. No, we want to look back and see what God has done and see people's lives transformed and changed to become like Jesus, preparing us to spend all of eternity in His presence. So we're going to close with this uh, worship song, In His Presence. And, and I just want us to really meditate on what it is to live in the presence of a sovereign God, and then I'll come back and close this in prayer.